It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. On this episode of the Mets Up Podcast, we go over all the huge free agent moves from the Mets over the past week, plus a full breakdown of our new starting pitcher, Kodai Sanga. Could we be moving to a six-man rotation? We're going to talk about it. It might make sense. And did we mention Brandon Nimmo is back? He's a Met for life. This and so much more on the next episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Get up. Get, get up. Get up. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode number 153. We have so much to talk about in today's episode. You know all the big moves that the Mets have made. Brandon Nimmo, Jose Quintana, David Robertson, and Kodai Sango. We're going to talk about everything that has gone on in the Mets world in the past week. So make sure you guys stick around and listen. Of course, if you're enjoying everything that you're seeing, listening, whatever it is, make sure you follow us on all our social media at MetsDup, M-E-T-S-D-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube video version of this podcast, make sure you go to the New York Mets YouTube channel and subscribe. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. James, how you doing, man? It's, it's been a minute since we last spoke. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing great. We just saw one of the most unbelievable weeks of free agency in the history of the team we both root for and podcast for. So I think it was a pretty, a pretty good week overall. Yeah, Steve Cohen seems to be changing the game a little bit with how free agency is moving because, I mean, you talked about a record-breaking or historic week in terms of Mets free agency. Just in terms of baseball free agency, it felt like it was a pretty unbelievable week in terms of the moves and the signings and the trades that have been going on. I knew things were different because I was heading out on Saturday night. I just gotten off a train and my friend and I were just going to the deli bodega, getting a sandwich, you know, getting a drink, getting ready for an evening. And I took out my phone to start texting just in the middle of the store. And the guy behind the grill just saw my phone and he thought that the Mets up sticker was just simply a Mets sticker. So he goes, you come over here. Talk to my friend. Talk to my friend. He never stopped <laughs> talking about the Mets. And we talked, me and this random guy worked the counter at this deli. We talked about the Mets for like 25 minutes, my friend was like, we have to leave. What are you doing right now? Please get out of here. And when that happened, this was even before the Sanga signing, that was, of course, very late Saturday night. So you just kind of felt like something different was in the air after the last week in the Mets world. And it was cool to see, like, just see the feel the energy at a time when baseball energy is usually at a low. Yeah, I feel like the way to describe it, there's a buzz. There's quite the buzz going on. Like, we've seen a lot of moves by other teams being made, but the Mets are stealing a lot of headlines too. Like the Brandon Nimmo signing was awesome. And we'll dive deep into that. Of course, the Kodai Senga one, which you mentioned that happened late on Saturday night was like, Whoa, we did it. Oh my God. And especially after hearing that, apparently the Padres offered him more and he wanted to come be with the Mets. Like that's awesome to hear. That's stuff that in years past, you wouldn't have heard with the Mets with players. We get David Robertson. Who's a guy that a lot of fans really wanted last year at the trade deadline. We bring in Jose Quintana. Like this is, are or these are moves that are pushing this Mets team forward for a team that already won 100 games last year as well. Like, I love what's going on. I love that we're spending money. I love that the Mets are going for it because it's, it would have been really easy to be satisfied and be like, we won 100 games last year. That's it. That's what we got. But the Mets are looking to get better, and I love that. 
We've talked so much about the innings that the Mets have lost compared, had lost between last year's team and this year's team. And we've seen them add so many potential so many. innings to this pitching staff in the last like 10, 12 days. It's like a little bit ridiculous. Like we talked about Verlander last week. We, we just barely, just based on the timing, missed against Hanunu, so we'll break that down. Then you add in Sanga. And then you talk about these relief pitchers. It's, it's, it's shocking how many players this team has been able to bring in. And it's kind of like that scenario where we were like, all right, well, this team wants to, you know, get to where they want to be. It's going to have to be a lot of the money spent or a lot of the prospects sent out. And it's just Steve Cohen said, okay, open up the checkbook, anything you need. And even after that Nimmo deal and the Robertson deal, we're like, all right, we're to the Cohen tax. This seems probably in a good spot where it is right now. Okay, we'll see what happens here. And then just completely out of the sky, late Saturday night, holiday parties galore. Steve Cohen drops the bomb. And we we just like can't help but be really really excited, happy, proud that we here with this organization who has is so committed to winning right now. It's such a breath of fresh air. Like people were walking differently. I was in my office today, all the Mets fans were like, this was a good weekend. This is pretty good right now. This is unbelievable. It's it's such just such a warm feeling. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about Kodai Senga first, because I feel like out of all the moves that were made, he's probably the most interesting one, just because there's a lot of mystery in terms of who he is as a player, what he is, because obviously I'm going to say 99.9% of Mets fans are not watching the NPB on a daily basis. So you're not getting a lot of Kodai Senga. And we did break him down a little bit earlier when we were talking about our free agent preview a couple episodes ago. But now that he is a Met, we can dive even more deep into him. We can get more into the numbers, more into the research. And as I do, I mean, I just, I like it more and more too. Like that five for 75 just feels like it's so, it's such a smart contract. Like that, Five for 75 for a guy who could be a really good starter on this team, like at the end of the day, could look like highway robbery in a case. <laughs> I mean, you look at other pitchers over the last two off seasons who've signed, including this one, the last one, for in the similar range, AAV wise, and even similar years wise as Sanga, where you go look at Lance McCullers with the Astros resounding there, John Gray signing with the Rangers last winter, Jameson Tyone, I think he was either four or five years at like 17 or 18 mil with the Cubs last week. Yeah. And Wilder Rodriguez, I believe, was four for 60 with the Tigers last year. And you look at those pitchers for that money, and you look at Sanka, and you probably do see a guy who, while all the pitchers we've mentioned probably have something that's going to need to be tweaked or to be worked on or some kind of wart, whether it be durability or lack of a swing and miss fastball, like he is the guy who, one, throws the hardest, which is a good place to start, and two, just had, I mean, again, a lot of these other guys have very good pitches, but Sanka has a real out pitch that's going to come to the major leagues and be effective immediately and that's the ghost fork ball splitter that everybody's been talking about so widely right now across baseball well i feel like you know a pitcher's got some stuff when you see pitching ninjas start tweeting out the gifts and the videos of the guy and i feel like since senga has signed with the mets all i've been seeing is pitching ninja gifts and videos of kodai senga and that ghost fork ball like it's kind of fascinating to watch because we don't really get to see these type of pitches uh, it's almost in the same like sense or same feeling of when like Matsuzaka came over and he had the gyro ball like now there's this new pitch it's it's got this it's got a nickname that's really cool like ghost ball such a cool nickname for a pitch that's so dope like I'm I'm so excited it's so much fun to watch and also just having a pitcher come over from the Japan or Korea that's coming with elite velocity like we yeah. talked a little bit last time that maybe the the fastball traits for Sanga aren't exactly swing and missable but we also have to see it happen first we don't know it has much more run than it does rise. We'll, ever, we'll see how that works, especially making this major league hitters. But he's still throwing at 95, 96, 97 miles an hour. That's an incredible place to start. And it's not really a, that's not really a pitch velocity that you will be able to sign a guy $15 million annually very often. Like I just named all those guys. 
John Gray, McCullers, Eduardo Rodriguez. Those are low 90s guys. Sit down there. Maybe John Gray can put Dustin up to 94 if he really reaches back at this point in his career. But getting that velocity and an elite off-speed pitch right there to start, that's incredible. And just at $15 million, if he pitches 100, 120, 130, 140 innings, like that is a contract that's significantly worth it. And if you're able to actually hit that upside, he's a guy who's been to driveline this winter. He said he really wanted to come to a team that was using data, modern pitching development, modern analytics. And it seems like he really liked what the Mets were able to tell him. This is a guy who really could keep getting better. And that's kind of the best part about this contract. He's a guy who looks like he wants to get better too. Like you said, with all that data and analytics and driveline, like hearing a guy go to driveline on his own from Japan, especially when like Japanese baseball, I don't want to say is like behind by any means, because that's not the correct terminology, but like they are a little more traditional. You don't really see these big arms. You don't really see guys as much trying to pick up velo like we have seen with Senga. So the fact that he's like, no, I want to be a better pitcher. We talked about with Verlander last episode being addicted to pitching. Seems like Senga wants to get to that level as well, which is so refreshing, so awesome to see because, you know, he he had great success in the MPB. He could come over and be like, I know what I know. You're not going to tell me how to change. And it seems like he's completely on board with just getting better. One of the coolest pieces of news I think has come out with the Senga signing is Adam Jones, who left Major League Baseball, went over the MPB a few years ago, probably like four or five years ago at this point. Time is just moving incredibly fast. He, I don't remember if it was a tweet or if it was a line he gave a journalist, but all he said was, he's nasty. Nice. That's good. Nice. That's, all, that's all I need, really. Yeah, I mean, everything that we've seen looks really good. Obviously, we have to work on like the, the breaking pitch because he's been very much fastball, ghost ball, like you said. So figuring out that that breaking pitch, I think he throws a slider-ish, right? James, it's a it's like a slider and a cutter apparently, and I got this information from Jim Allen at J Ball Allen. He just he's a blogger for the MPB. It's really good content, so check him out if you guys want to learn more about Kodai Sanga. He's written a lot about him this year. Look at you getting the shout out too. Of course, yeah, right. <laughs> and apparently, the slider is as it was described is a two plane slider, which means that it's not really that much bite and has like almost as much sweep as it does drop. Which, if you kind of fine-tune that grip, that's something we've talked about a little bit in the show recently, the new sweeper that's coming across baseball, where the pitch acts like a slider, where it's like sliding, but it's also dropping, and it spins a little bit differently than the way it comes off your hand. Maybe that's the tweak that the Mets see, and that can make it happen. But right now, apparently, it's just not reliable as a bat-missing pitch. He said he can use it to get called strikes, and he's good at that. That's a skill that he has. But as a bat-missing pitch, it's not exactly super, super reliable. But also, we know that our our pitching labs here in the States are significantly better than Japan, especially the one that's led by Jeremy Hefner over here yep. in Queens. And this is something that he's been committed to. He's like, you don't see that many pitchers. Maybe you do more so now. Say, like, I want more data. I want more things. Tell me how to be good. And Sang is a guy who even just defined this velocity at six feet tall, 180 pounds. That is a f- dramatic feat in and of itself. So there's really, while there is definitely risk with finding that velocity a little bit later in his career and being undersized, if you guys watch videos of him, he definitely has a bit of a violent release. And these are all yes. things we talked about a month ago when we talked about Sanga. He really just gets himself around there, really gets the torque on himself. He also, last year, did deal with some elbow tightness, kept him out of a few starts. He also, this is funny, I mentioned last episode, apparently there's a legend who came from Jim Allen. He had a bit of a tiff with his manager. We know <laughs> the managers in Japan are much more old school. They're from the old guard. He just apparently wasn't throwing enough fastballs, and that was something that <laughs> kind of rubbed <laughs> rubbed his team the wrong way. So they were like, you got to throw more fastballs. We throw fastballs here. But I don't know. It's just it's cool to see this guy commit, committed to getting better. It's cool to see him really want to come to a team that was committed to winning, cool to a team that was committed to using data in their pitching development. Because we did also hear that the other team gunning for Sango was the Padres. Yes. The Padres are a team very also clearly committed to winning. Not it's not a big market like New York, but San Diego is one of the biggest markets, if not the biggest market, all of Major League Baseball. It just has one team in it. 
I mean, I guess if you spin it that way, yeah. Yeah, it's one team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> putting that out there. But they're a team that over the last few years, and maybe that's changed a little bit more recently, but I know going back a couple of years, they haven't really been as keen to include a lot more data and that type of learning and development in their in their professional team, which you take it for what it will. If that was a thing that pushed them over the edge to get us Sanga, like that's really cool. But it seems like the, the, up, up here, up here, Kodai Sanga gets it. And that's the biggest thing with pitching in New York. And I feel like based on the moves that we saw the Mets make, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier with Senga and how many innings maybe we can realistically expect out of him in the first year, something that they do in Japan is that they have a pitcher pitch every day of the week and they have an off day once a week. So they go to a six-man rotation. And not that the Mets are necessarily going to do this, but I think it's worth at least exploring the option right now with the starting pitching depth that we currently do have where a six-man rotation might not be a bad thing, especially for Senga to get acclimated to Major League Baseball and I mean, he will be pitching more often. That's something you have heard Japanese pitchers talk about in the past is that getting used to the MLB schedule as opposed to the NPB schedule does take adjustment. So with, uh, you know, Scherzer, Verlander, Carrasco, Senga, Quintana, who we're going to talk about, McGill, Peterson. I mean, am I forgetting anybody else? Like there's just, there's a lot of arms that can be used. So you don't necessarily have to push this guy to his absolute, you know, past his limit. Definitely. And we just, we, the whole, this entire off-season seasons, all about getting those two horses, Verlander and Scherzer, ready to go on October 1st. Yeah. The, the regular season this year, knock on wood, it's going to be mostly a flirt, just based on the way the 17 playoff works. You got to play well enough, get to the dance, and have all of the gears turning when the dance begins. So I don't think it even is. Again, we have no we have no knowledge of what's going to happen here at all. <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't think it's the craziest idea for the depth the Mets have developed here in also a way to keep pushing the development of David Peterson and Tyler McGill and yep. Gakoda Sanga acclimated to the major leagues. I don't think six-man rotation is a bad idea at all. It's something I think would actually be pretty cool and probably have a good long-term impact on this team. And I mean, even talking about our, our top guys, Verlander and Scherzer, like if we can keep them a little bit more fresh, that no, would yeah, never be a bad too. thing. So no, of course, push them out. I think it's definitely worth it. And I mean, we were just talking about Kodai Senga, but we also brought in Jose Quintana, like we said earlier, happened about 12 hours after we finished recording the last episode. So it wasn't able to come out for that one, but we can talk about it now. Crafty little lefty, I think is the way we're going to describe it, right? Crafty lefty. He's going to eat innings, fits with this rotation well, because we talked about how many innings we were missing. He's a guy that's going to slot in for about 150, probably. I mean, it's a pretty good move. Definitely. And I do think that now that we've signed all three of these pitchers, I think the plan comes more into focus because yes. we talked a lot about it. Say it again, the Mets needed innings. And there were basically like a couple different cohorts of pitchers that they were looking at between either Verlander, uh, DeGrom, or possibly Rodon, which we, whatever. And you ended up getting Verlander out of that group. And then you saw the Heaney, the Clevenger, the the Quintana, who else was in that group? I guess the Stripling. Stripling, like maybe. That. Yeah. yeah that kind of cohort of pitchers. And then you had the Senga, the Taiwan, I guess Bassett, because he just signed for more money, but less years, kind of those three levels of pitchers. And you kind of saw the Mets in that first level be like, I want the guy who we think is going to consistently give us more innings and a shorter term commitment. That was Justin Verlander. And then you go to the Quintana tier and it didn't make as much sense. I don't think at the time, but now it's become more clear with Senga coming in. It's like, okay, we need to buy reliability over upside here. Yeah. We are prioritizing reliability, and then we're going to say we're going to find our upside elsewhere. And they did find this upside elsewhere with Sanga. I think because I think Sanga has significantly more upside and making less money probably than Taiwan or Bassett. As, as great as those guys were for this team, and as upset I truly was to see them go, he, he simply throws harder, and he probably has a better off-speed pitch than either of them. Maybe Taiwan splitter, maybe the way slider came on too, but there's just... There's a more pieces of this Kodai Sanga repertoire of $15 million annually that's saying this guy could actually 
wind up instead of being like the three four we're signing him for possibly on the two three line which would be 100%. the best case scenario and that is possible because you signed a guy like Quintana who throws innings and innings and innings every single year it's not going to be spectacular he's not going to miss a lot of bats he's going to keep the ball on the ground he's going to work crafty lefty he's a crafty lefty he's a guy who you put in the rotation he kind of changes the things up from the other pitchers he's also another lefty which is Mets rotation has been missing for the last couple of years he's going to good defense behind him. he's going to pitch it in a big ballpark it's it was a low. It was a low impact signing and allowed them to take their risk elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, he had a two ninety ERA last year. Is that going to be replicated? Probably not. Just again, we understand how regression works. But for his career, three seventy ERA and he averages about like one hundred and sixty, one hundred and seventy innings a year. That's exactly what the Mets needed, like you just said. And I mean, I, f- I feel like he's going to be a guy that Mets fans really like too, just because he's going to throw strikes. He's going to get batters to hopefully make quick outs and go deeper into games. They're going to be like. Quintana's reliable. We got Quintana going every five or six days, whatever it is. He's going out there giving us six. It's like almost-ish, like when Rich Hill came over for that little brief stint with the Mets. Like, you know what you're getting. You're not going to ever watch him and say, like, wow, that's the best pitcher I've ever seen. But at the end of the day, the results are pretty good. He's going to kind of be like Lefty Carrasco, where like he's going to have some really good starts against the bad teams. He'll keep you in games against the good teams. Like Once in a while, things look pretty bad, and you'll be like, all right, you tip a cap to the other team. You move on yeah. to the next day. And he's just going to walk out there every fifth day and just pitch. He's going to give you your innings when you need them. It's not going to be super incredible. He's probably, true skill-wise, more like a guy like high threes, low fours ERA. Yeah. Similar to what we've said about Carrasco. And he's just going to give you innings. The Mets lost 900 innings from their team when this offseason began. And Quintana's a huge step to getting them back. 100%. I also think it's really funny, too, that in terms of you know the pitching, let's go to the bullpen side now, that David Robertson, the guy who Mets fans had been screaming and moaning and going absolutely crazy about, finds his way back to New York this time with the Mets on a one-year $10 million deal. I, I mean, same ni- moment as Nimmo. Like, Nimmo happened, then David Robertson happened, all within, like, five minutes, which was really cool. And I feel like, I mean, we know that Robertson's good. We talked about him. He was a guy that we'd consider, we we wanted last year during the trade deadline. We didn't want to give up something crazy, but we kind of got the best of both worlds here because now we got him and we didn't give anything up, which I think is also showing how the Mets are thinking too. Mets still haven't given up like any prospects really in, besides Pete Crow Armstrong that one time. Yeah, it definitely seems like that was a big priority for this team. And also I think with Robertson, I think it's very obvious now that they wanted someone with a one-year commitment. Yes. They didn't want to put that much money on the books years past this because we still are looking at two guys who were great for this team last year, Seth Lugo and Adam Adovino, still sitting there on the free agent market as well as a lot of other pretty talented relievers. But the fact that you could probably get Robertson. I think he's either 37 or 38 years old at this point. He's he's old. He was even just out of baseball, what, like two years ago? I was about to bring that up, that he was a guy who at one point thought his career was kind of over and just kind of floating around trying to find that next team. The Rays got a hold of him. We're like, hold on, wait a second. We'll fix you. We're the Rays, and now his career has continued on to be great. This guy was pitching in the Olympics in 2021. <laughs> think about that. That's so crazy. That <laughs> The Olympics. This guy was pitching the Olympics, and I was making $10 million. And the biggest thing about David Robinson coming to this team is that he still has a super elite pitch, and that's yep. that knuckle curve that's always been his bread and butter since those early days, way back when he was with the Yankees with his really high socks and those those thick-busting calves. But he also has a good color that I think is the pitch that has come on later. I'll double-check right now. And a slider that gets by. And him having three pitches coming out of that spot in the bullpen, something that we saw Seth Lugo use last year. It's a really, really really good measure for a guy who can get hitters out on both sides of the plate. We all know how important that is now with the three-batter minimum rule. David Robertson getting out hitters on both sides of the plate late in games is going to be a massive part of the Mets' success this year. 100%. He definitely seems like he's going to slot into that setup eighth inning role uh, pretty nicely. He was closing big games in the World Series, so if there was ever a question of whether or not the guy can handle a big moment, I, I think that's pretty 
pretty obvious what the answer is going to be. He seems like he's ready and he's pitched in New York before. I think that's also really big too. Cause a lot of times, I mean, we saw it with Edwin Diaz in his first year pitching in New York isn't easy, especially in high pressure games. Like Edwin Diaz was pitching in games and the Mets were out of it and people were losing their mind. Now the Mets are in it. Uh, the pressure is on, but I think David Robertson's totally ready for it. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I was wrong about the color. David Robinson's always had the colors, but always been his most thrown pitch. The difference is that he's started throwing the slider for years ago, and last year he was throwing the slider and the curveball more than years past. Okay, okay, got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, he looked good. He looked good, and obviously... Bullpen arms. We want them. We need them. Bring more in, and the Mets seem to be doing that. And then the last big move to talk about here is going to be the Brandon Nimmo one, which, hallelujah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you guys. If you've been listening to us, you know that both me and James were like, number one guy the Mets need to bring back this offseason, Brandon Nimmo. You have to bring back Nimmo, and they did on an eight-year, $162 million contract, which... Yeah, I mean, that feels like it could be an absolute steal, especially with how Nimmo played last year and how good his defense is, how good he is at the plate. You're getting an all-around really good center fielder in his prime years for $20 million a year all day. Sign me up. This was a deal that when it got signed, you were immediately able to tell who paid close attention to Nimmo and the Mets over the course of his career yep. who didn't because all the people who were paying close attention were like, oh my God, thank the Lord. The Mets got Brandon Nimmo back. Like all our fears are averted. And all the people who don't pay attention are like, you gave eight years and $20 million a year. This guy's never even played 162 games. He can't even do that. And then like you do look at some of Nimmo, you're like, wow, this guy hasn't even hit 40 home runs in the last four years, which is kind of funny. Or uh, he's hit eight, 24. He's hit 40 home runs. Exactly. There the you go. Four. Good math. Good math. There we go. But I mean, you watch this guy day in, day out. You just see how hard he works. You see everything he does for this team. You see how important he is at the leadoff spot in this order. You see how much the game changes when he gets on base to start the game and sprints down to first base. You see how much he's improved, especially defensively over the last few years. His just commitment to getting better and better every single year. A guy who is still baseball young because he didn't play high school baseball. He didn't play college baseball. He, he, he has such an uneven, rocky development. And I see him come into his own as he's in his physical prime and reaching free agency, and the only center fielder on the market. He he had all leverage in the world, him and Scott Boris, and this was a great deal, one the Mets had to make, and one we're just so over the moon that they did make. He has a WRC Plus over the last two seasons of 135. That is 20th best in Major League Baseball. 20th best in Major League Baseball at WRC Plus, creating runs for your offense. He also plays a great center field. I mean, some of the names of guys that he's ahead of, Nolan Arenado, Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner. I mean, we're naming some really, really good players, and we're getting Brandon Nimmo at $20 million a year. Like, I, again, I, I made it so well-known that was the guy I, I thought the Mets had to bring back, especially because the drop in talent that would have happened if Brandon Nimmo wasn't our center fielder would have been huge. That would have been really, really hard to replace, especially because you probably move Marte to center, and then you have that whole situation going on. Like, Nimmo in center for the next eight years is going to just, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I'm so pumped. I'm sure he won't be in center for the next eight years. Well, yeah, yeah, the yeah, outfield. yeah, yeah. The way yeah, the yeah. way Brandon was developing this point in his career, like he this these on base skills, his ability not to chase bad pitches, that is one of the best skills that you have that ages. So the fact that he has that now is probably not going to get worse. Could even get better. 
And then the fact he's a good defensive center fielder right now in center will be able to be still a plus center field uh, defender over there in the corner as his contract gets in the later years. It's, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not gonna say it's a slam dunk because the eight years is crazy, but like thinking about it, like this, this is it. And we got Johnny stats coming in here from the bullpen. A little stat. Only five players have a higher on base percentage than Nimmo since the start of allegedly John's favorite year, 2018. <laughs> His favorite that, year, 2018. You know why it's my favorite year? Oh, it's Rangers. Like, the year you turned 30. No, no. Okay. <laughs> well, the year he turned 40. He's what, 42 now? No, Mark, you call me out on this because we, <laughs> we had been debating a little behind the scenes about some other baseball players that have signed free agent contracts recently. And I keep going back to 2018 because it's a nice, it's a, it's a, it's a meaty uh, sample size, you know, like those thick busting calves. It's like that, except for sample size. That's what you want, a five-year sample. So anyway, yeah, five guys in baseball have higher OBPs than Nemo since that year. Who are okay. they? And the company, just... the company we're about to mention Really contextualizes twenty million a year. I got two real quick ones here. Trout, Mookie. Trout. Oh, Mookie's another one. Judge. Trout, yes, number one. Mookie bets no. Judge. Whoa. Judge, yes. Okay. Bregman. Bregman is seven. Right. Actually, Brandon Nimmo ahead of Alex Bregman. What about Jordan Alvarez? Probably not qualified. I guess not, he might not. Uh, no, he is qualified. He's ninth on this list, and uh, that, that's a good point. It is qualifiers. Jose Goldsman. Ramirez. No Jose Ramirez. Brandon Nimmo ahead of Jose Ramirez. Goldschmidt. He's ahead of Goldschmidt. We're naming some really good players here. Oh, my God. I'll give, uh, you the other, I'll give you the other three if you guys. Harper. Bryce Harper is one of them, yes. Okay. He is fourth uh, on this list. One more guess, Schwarber. Not Schwarber. Okay, who, who there, is it, There's the a pretty obvious one you guys are missing. We're missing him? Yeah. Obvious? Yeah. Obvious. Oh, so, though. Correct. Oh, Freddie. Oh, I was going to say like, Freddie Freeman. Yes, too. you guys just Freeman. knocked him out on your last guesses. I love that. Yes. Nice. So, Freeman. But, I mean, that just goes to show, look, we, we had been talking throughout the whole process, like, who do they replace him with? And, you know, Can't. Kevin Kiermeyer was a name that was thrown around and mentioned. Andrew Benintendi, he had five home runs last season. Was <laughs> wow, it's only 10 less than Xander Bogarts. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything's about home runs. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you, you, guys, you guys mentioned it. You guys said all there is to say, and I think that, when you put that into context that this guy is the elite of the elite and getting on base, it's, it's just, it was a great night in Mets world. As you guys said, a, a fantastic night, especially because it came out of nowhere. Like nowhere. just seemingly all of a sudden the Mets signed Brandon Nimmo. Like there hadn't been a rumor. There hadn't been anything. And especially with judge being off the board already, you kind of felt like Nimmo was going to take his time as a Boris guy and eight for one sixty two. It seemed like, it seemed like the Mets called him. He's like, yeah, all right. I'm, I'm in. Like, they were actually the opposite of the rumors. The rumors going in the other direction. The Mets see it unlikely to sign Brandon Nimmo, which goes to show you how much you could really trust rumors this day and age of baseball. But unbelievable. This guy's had 10% walk rate every single year since 2016. His, his, his barrels per plate appearance keep getting better. Oh, just He's so good. He's so yeah. freaking good. And it's it, Eddie, the two years in Brandon Nimmo's career where he's played at least 140 games, he's earned at least 4.8 F4. If you could do that, three, four, five times over the life of this contract. It is unbelievably, incredibly worth it. That's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, he's a big dude too. When I met him on the field and did some TikTok stuff with him, shook his hand. I was like, this dude is so massive. I know it doesn't necessarily look like it all the time on the field, but he's like, he's built like he would be a, a star wide receiver. He's just a big dude, big shoulders. Like the power I think can definitely come, but it's also not really his game. Like he made great, he had great success this year like slapping the ball around the field, getting on base, doing his thing. 
if he decides to become a power guy, like, oh my goodness, this could be crazy. I mean, even last year with the year of the dead ball, 16 home runs. Like, that's yeah. not really anything to slouch at. That was the second most of his entire career after multiple years of hitting eight, literally eight, three years in a row, exactly, <laughs> with a vastly different amount, different amount of games being played. 6-3-2-10, that's, that's, that's a big boy. And also, you yeah. just look at look at the other outfielders in baseball over the last two years who've signed contracts in a similar yep. range of AAV. You have Starling Marte, Kyle Schwarber, Nick, Nick Castellanos. I mean, I think in terms of like everything a player does, I'm not saying that Nimmo's the best player in that list, but in terms of doing both I things am. really well, I, I don't know. I just I can't I can't find another guy. And this is five million less annually than George Springer, and their commitments end at about the same age. I'll so say that's like, I'll what? say Nimmo is the best guy out of that list that you mentioned. I, I think he is. I think pretty clearly, like I, I Schwarber has the power. Castellanos looked horrible last year, and Marte is really good. But I just think Brandon Nimmo is better. I. I mean, me and you have been saying it, James, for a while, but Brandon Nimmo's elite. I'm saying it. It's oh, weird to say at center field because you always have Trout, but just because Mike Trout exists and is one of the best players of all time doesn't mean that the other good players aren't elite as well. And Brandon Nimmo is 100% elite. He's totally elite. Just it's the whole thing is about him staying on the field. And you're, yes. you're only injury prone until you're not. That's it. And there's more potential power there, I think, with Nimmo. He is a guy who's very passive. His approach at the plate, I remember there yeah. was a story about Joey Votto and Brandon Nimmo talking. I think it was in 21 when the Reds came to City Field, and the uh, you know the the mindset of hey, swinging 3-0 is not the worst thing in the world. Like yeah, obviously you're in the driver's seat to draw a walk, but you're getting it. You're getting a strike at 3-0. Like let one rip. Um, like you said, a big a big framed guy played football in high school. Was a great football player. There is more untapped power there. I think it's really the mindset, the approach that Brandon Nimmo. Uh, takes it to the batter's box with him. And it would not shock me if as he continues to get older, um, you know, if he tries to maybe sell out a little bit for some power. Uh, and that and that's a fine thing. And like you guys said, how many good center fielders are there in this sport right not now? Six, maybe five. <laughs> there, it's, there's such, there's such a, it, it's crazy because it's such an important position. You look at defense and center field and some of the teams that have gone to the World Series in the last five years, and they've been teams with good center fielders, and it's just such a hard thing to find, and that's really what made Brandon Nimmo so valuable in this particular offseason, and that's why he winds up getting an eight-year deal. And I know the two of you were at, were talking last week. I think, Mark, you posed the question to James, how many years do you think Brandon Nimmo winds up with? No one said eight, and it's something no. that we're learning this offseason is that these teams are not worrying so much about 2030, 2031, and James is smiling because it goes in back to a conversation but it's been a theme all, all, all offseason, and I don't think that it's going to be a discontinued theme. Number one, it helps soften the AAV blow. You know, the yeah. teams that are spending right now, Padres, Phillies, Mets, uh, maybe Yankees, we'll see what they do. What do they all have in common? They're all kind of in win-now mode. Yep. No one is worrying about 2030. That's number one. And number two, again, no one has any idea what baseball is going to look like in 2030. We're probably going to have another CBA negotiated. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Like, the last one was five that's years. True. Yeah. That's a good point. I Anything honestly didn't even think about that. I didn't think well, about the idea that baseball is going is 100% going to be looking different by 2030. It's going to be much larger. I'm sure there might even be expansion involved. Like, the yes. league is going to be completely different. So having your guy locked up for years that are kind of, like, made up right now, who cares? doesn't matter. And we also just signed as a league, like two massive streaming deals last year. That's only going to become more prevalent. That money's only getting deeper into these guys' pockets over the next few years. And I mean, it's, it's true. It's totally a good point. I also think that with the lack of a next option, 
and the fact that you don't want this to drag out because you want to make sure you can like kind of use the rest of the offseason now to fill in the corners of your roster now that all the yeah. meat's in place, you know, you got all your meat, you got getting out good bread. <laughs> you want if you let this drag out, then you ended up missing. Like you're you're screwed. Like you have to be a little bit more aggressive early. And we saw this with basically all these free agents that the Mets, Billy Epler, Steve Cohen were very aggressive early to make sure they got their guys and then they could let the rest fill itself in. And I also well, think another part of Nimmo, we're talking about defense, talking about how many good center fielders there actually are. The Mets have over like about $90 million committed to two pitchers who do not get any ground balls. You have to have elite center field defense yeah. behind Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, or that investment is not really worth what you're paying. So to, to not have gotten him or like an app strong defensive replacement, it would have been stupid. And then if you get a big, strong defensive replacement who can't hit, then you really need another hitter. I don't know where the other hitter was to come from based on the way the market's shaking out right now. So this was just a move that simply had to happen. And to one of John's points before, Brandon Nimmo has now increased his swing rate. So that means the percentage of pitches he has swung on in one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive years. He's been nice. swinging more frequently. We saw this year the first pitch swing jump up two. We've seen, you know, some of that comes with Nimmo's chase rate rising too, but he still is one of the best chase rates in all of baseball, even as it's rising a little bit. Selective aggression, learning when he get, learning when he has a pitch to hit. We, how many times in the last two years were like, was there a pitching change that happened late in the game, and SNY barely gets back to the game, and there's a ball <laughs> sailing out to right field off Brandon Nimmo's bat? Dude, the, like, the Cardinals game, literally, like that's the one that comes right to mind is the Cardinal game where mm -hmm. all of a sudden the ball's in the air and we're like, okay, the Mets are they 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 take the lead. <laughs> There's so many, there's so many things that Brandon Nimmo is good at, and there's so many things he's improving at, and there's just so many reasons why he's going to be a very good player. That this was, and the, you you also saw just how robust his market was. Every single team and their mother were in on Brandon Nimmo. Everybody wanted a piece of this guy. Like, you you guys don't think that means that that something good? No, I also think it's really cool too that like last year we saw Brandon Nimmo. Uh, I don't want to say like necessarily be a leader more, but like be a little bit more vocal, right? Talking to the, the reporters and press more, uh, having you know more sound bites out there. One of the things he talked about is like Mets fans deserve this. I love playing for the Mets. I love being here, and I feel like this, the speed of which the contract was done, everything about this just tells you that Brandon Nimmo is like, oh, I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to be a Met for the rest of my life. I love it here, like. Everything about this is just, it feels really good. And I'm also really happy because I can now get a Brandon Nimmo jersey, one that I have wanted for a while. And I know he's not going anywhere. When this contract's over, Brandon Nimmo will have spent 20 years in the Mets organization. Wow. That's, that's, that's insane, insane to think about. That's a lifetime. That's, that's a, I mean, that, that's, like, that's like a full person growing up in the Mets organization. That's like half of John's life right now, 20 years. Yeah, almost. It's yeah. almost half of John's life. That's crazy. You know, James, not to uh, get too sidetracked from Brandon Nimmo, but you made a great uh, a great analogy with the meat and the bread, and it, it, it got me thinking. I need to know, when James Chiano's going to the local deli, what's on that perfect James Chiano sandwich? The listeners need to know. No bread because he's gluten-free, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, but I, I have a time <laughs> in my life where I was a, glu a glutenist, and I was really a really strong <laughs> member of the deli. My, my, I don't know, my... My go-to deli sandwich has always uh -huh. been um, some some variation of a sandwich that Mark and I grew up on. Okay. It, it was called a Trinidad. Shout out Hershey's in Westfield. It was turkey, roast beef, lettuce, onions, tomato, Russian dressing. It's a banger. Okay. All right. I mean, those are okay. those are kind of mid uh, meats, I think. Turkey I mean, and roast beef are kind of mid. I like put together. I think they it, add a lot to one another. I also, I mean, I love a good Italian always, of course, too. Those are probably mm -hmm. the two number ones. A little gabagool yeah, a, on there. Yeah, a little, little gabagool. gabagool never hurt anybody. You just, I like to just stack up the meats. No lettuce, no tomato, no onions, no 
salt, pepper, whatever the can't oil be a salad. Can't be that. anywhere yeah. near a salad. Absolutely <laughs> not. I just get meat, bread, and when I could eat cheese, some cheese on there, which I'm I'm desperately missing. But shout, uh, out, shout out the old deli that Mark used to live near. I'm not going to say because I don't want to dox him, but they yeah. made. Probably the best wraps in all of Queens. This Such place would wrap. make unbelievable wraps. They had chicken cutlets. They had all kinds of toppings. A great chipotle mayonnaise. Oh my god! Many, many a day on the old terrace were saved by a wrap from the from the deli. Whoever lives in Astoria, you know what you know which one we're talking about. Because if you've been there and it's you've the had GD. it, you go that makes that makes a good a good wrap. Are there, there. multiple locations that maybe? I mean, I'm you know I'll ask you guys after because I'm looking into Astoria right now and I'm trying to really get the sense of like what's good, what's not. You know, the good restaurants where I want to be. So you piqued my interest here. Yeah, we'll have John. If you actually came out with us the night that we won in the playoffs, you know, you would have been able to see a story. Oh, a little well, bit. Well, I'm but... sorry, it was 2 a.m. and I had to be back at the stadium <laughs> at 10 a.m. the next morning. Ah, I'm sorry. Forty year old, forty year old man excuse again coming. Here's out. a good hint though. The name of this deli, there's probably conservatively about fourteen, fifteen thousand delis in New York City with the exact same name. Well, we we could say that name, Gourmet Deli. Yeah, the, it's the Gourmet Deli. <laughs> That's the name could, of it. Yeah, then you could pinpoint me and Mark's old apartment by that, which no one lives in anymore. So good luck trying to find us. Well, someone lives there, just not us. Yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There's also one more move that the Mets made last week that kind of got lost in the shuffle of our recording and our posting the last episode, and that was in the Rule 5 draft. We picked up relief pitcher from the Yankees organization, Zach Green. So him being picked, what? Was it, were, were we, ha- what conversation were we having? I don't necessarily remember what it was, but we were talking with each other live while this was happening, and you saw this, and your reaction, you would have thought that we just like, we, we, we just signed Brandon Nimmo. You're like, the Mets got Zach Green. It was like, <laughs> you were ecstatic. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you got to say about him. I'm pretty sure I did some, I had we had some notes on the Rule 5 draft last week that we just got kind of lost in the shuffle. But he had either the highest or one of the highest strikeout rates that were available in the Rule 5 draft. And it was all at AAA. 33.3% strikeout rate last year in AAA. Coupled with an 11% walk rate, but that's why the guy's available in the Rule 5 draft. 199 batting average against last year in AAA. He was a full-time relief pitcher, but he was very commonly used in multi-inning outings. He had 40 appearances in about 60 innings, just to give you guys a sense of what he has. And he has one of these super funky, unique fastballs that comes from this kind of low arm slot, but it still has the ride and a little bit of cut on it. So because it comes from that low arm slot, the ride kind of looks more more sinister, I guess I want to say, and it had very high whiff rate, especially in terms of minor league swings and misses for fastballs that were under 95 miles an hour. And then he throws the... uh, the new Yankee Dodger patented sweeper pitch I mentioned before to give you guys the jargon of it. It's thrown like a slider, but it has a fancy term called gyro spin, which means that the way the ball actually spins in the air is different than the way the ball spins off the fingers. That's the best I could way I can describe it because it's well above my pay grade. But those two pitches get tons of whiffs. He also mixes in a changeup and a color that aren't as good, but they're both passable. And since we took him in the Rule 5 draft, that means we have to give him back unless he spends the entire year on our 26-man roster. So the Mets picked Zach Green, a team that doesn't exactly have the most roster spots available up for grabs right now with a full intention of him being in their bullpen for the entire year. And I think there's a good chance that he becomes at least a medium leverage B-team reliever for us. 
there's another uh, former Yankee prospect that was taken in the Rule 5 draft recently that I know has had some uh, great success. James, you want to uh, fill the viewers in on who that could be? Yeah, it's Garrett Whitlock, probably yeah. one of the 10, 15 most effective relievers in all of baseball over the last two years. The Yankees just have such a glut of pitching prospects right now. We saw them trade like seven of them away at the last trade deadline, probably 12 away over the last two years between all the trades they've made. And they still just have so many of these guys. And they, they're really good at teaching these guys either sinkers that make you go cross-eyed or the rising fastball. And they all have this wicked sweeper, that pitch that's really good at both missing bats and getting uh, low, uh, low exit velocity contact on them. So I think a Zach Green, in terms of a Rule 5 draft pick, has a relatively high floor and someone that I think with a little bit of tweaking, a little bit of maneuvering, even just hiding him, maybe just against the bad teams at first, letting him get up to speed, it could be a gem. My phone just buzzed. I think I'm getting PTSD from when we finish recordings and something happens afterwards. I was like, did, did something just happen? My phone's buzzing. No notifications. No moves have been made. Uh, but there, I, there has been a move, and this is a sad one for me, actually. Who's this? John Heyman tweets, and the team confirms. Always fun when that happens. Wait, did it just happen? I just, no, it was like 10 minutes ago. I'm checking my oh, okay. phone for the well, first time. Anyway. I'm blocked by Heyman. So that Are you really? It. Yeah, of course. All right, I guess I can. I guess I can see it. <laughs> anyway, so Ryan Yarbrough has been signed by the Kansas City Royals, thus, thus oh. ending, thus ending my personal offseason pursuit. But you know, when you look at the forty-man roster on the Mets uh, website right now, there are a lot of bullpen options. And James, I have a question so for you. You're very well versed in this. Another Yankee that was kind of a casualty of their forty-man crunch was Stephen Ridings, who yes, went sir. through waivers, did not make it through waivers, was claimed by the Mets. Now, what I understand about Ridings is he is a, he's a flamethrower. Um, so I guess, James, my question for you and for you to talk to fans about the differences between Green and Ridings. Obviously, the Mets need to keep Green on the roster, like you mentioned, for them to retain his services throughout the season. So maybe he has a leg up over Ridings, who I'm assuming, I'm not sure his option situation. Ridings has three options. Ridings throws significantly harder, and he has good he has good physics on that fastball too, and he has a good slider. I'm not sure if it's the same sweeper. I'm not as well versed on Ridings. Ridings is also a little bit older. He's already 27 years old. I believe Green was just 25. Ridings is also much bigger. Ridings is six foot eight, Big which deep. is that really helps him bear down on hitters. Ridings also is coming off an injury where I believe he only pitched that, that page just loaded. He only pitched two innings last year. Right. Across all levels in the Yankee system. So I think Rything is probably a guy, more of a project, more of a guy we're going to have to nurse along, but probably Sam just has more type. potential. A Sam McWilliams I guess type a, from a couple offseasons Yeah, a ago. Sam McWilliams type, but he's bigger than McWilliams. And he had more pedigree when he was coming up, more so than McWilliams. Like Rything's on Fangrass has a 70 grade fastball. You don't see 70 grades often. They should not be taken lightly. He's a guy who, if things all click, and it's probably not even the highest chance of that, but it's definitely possible just based on what we have from him right now. It, if it does click, you could be looking at a potential monster but over the last couple of years even looks like actually in his entire entire professional career he's only thrown 20 10 5 2 less than 50 innings above a ball i believe so there's, a, there's there's a lot of stuff there but he's also 20 years old these big pitchers sometimes take longer to develop it's it's someone that's possible and someone who i like that we have in the mix along with someone we talked about a few episodes ago jeff brigham who's coming mm-hmm. in with minor league options from the marlins has given length in the past and has an elite slider Eliezer Hernandez, who's someone who's going to be probably this year's Trevor Williams, along with Joey Lucchese sharing that role once he's healthy, once they're both healthy, who doesn't throw that hard, but he's really good at limiting hard contact. One, I became obsessed with Eliezer Hernandez a few years ago because he pitched like an entire season in the PCL with the juice ball and gave up zero home runs. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like for a guy to do that, it's unbelievable. The PCL 
it's the triple a league out west like tons of teams have crazy altitudes like every almost half the stadiums are like course field this guy gave up no home runs whole season out there ridiculous stuff so i think i'm really i'm really happy proud and encouraged by how this mets front office has built bullpen and pitching depth in just such a very short time this offseason definitely my biggest concern going in and they passed it with ridiculously flying colors like a lot of these names in the bullpen you guys might not be familiar with yet but you will find out about them soon like just going through like you said john i think that was a good thing to bring up like jeff brigham we've talked about james really likes him john curtis formerly with the rays mm-hmm. brewers smart pitching teams very He's intriguing now, very yeah, intriguing. Now with arm. fun story about john curtis when i went to the world series in texas during the covid year sitting out in the outfield before the game watching BP, John Curtis might be one of the sneaky best athletes I've seen in a while on a baseball field. He was robbing home runs like Kevin Kiermeyer during BP like it was nothing. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe how good he was at tracking balls and how easy he was climbing the fence. Incredible athlete like that. You mentioned Eliezer Hernandez. Yoan Lopez is still around, the folk legend. Hopefully we can see him a little bit more too. You mentioned Lucchese, McGill, Bryce Montes de Oca. We know his stuff was Crazy electric stuff. last year. Nagosic looked good at times. Brooks Raley, the left-handed reliever, who's going to be our lefty specialist. Good stuff. Taylor Saucedo, I don't know as much on him, but I know James had some good things. And William Woods, the guy that they got from the Braves, another guy who's got good stuff. So it at least... If you're a Mets fan, you see the process the Mets are thinking right now, and you've got to be encouraged because these are things that you see the Dodgers, the Rays, the Brewers, the three smart teams, and the Astros, I guess, too. Three, four smart teams in baseball in terms of pitching and especially getting the most out of just random guys in the bullpen. This is all guys that they would be interested in, which you got to love to see. The last two seasons that John Curtis pitched, he had a strikeout rate over 24%, which is a hair higher than league average, and just a 4% walk rate between 2020 and 2021 when he was pitching very well between the, I believe it was the Rays and I think the Brewers and one more team. I think the Marlins took a pass at him and he started to not pitch that well there. There's 95 mile an hour fastball with decent ride and he throws a slider that has good two play movement. This guy, he was one of those moves that the Mets signed last year. Just a guy who they're going to let him rehab one year with Tommy John surgery, then pitch the next year where it was like, oh, the process is different now. This is yes. something that the Mets of old would have never done. Pay a guy for a full year not to play just so you have him for cheap the next year. The second that move happened, that's what I think when Coffin started to build for people who were paying very close attention. I think that just the way they built all of these guys out, we didn't even just mention Brooks Raley, who's a guy the Mets picked up for a single-A pitcher and Keyshawn SQ, who's a good pitcher, a good prospect. I think he was already 21 years old, 22 years old, still in low yeah. A. Mm-hmm. Took, was going to take a very big, was going to take a very long time to develop. Brooks Raley is a guy who just is coming off a completely elite, elite season as a left-handed reliever and get guys out both sides of the plate. Like him and Robertson and Drew Smith are kind of, are, have kind of become the eighth inning guys now as the bridge to Edwin Diaz. Perhaps there's another guy who fills in that role and comes through. Maybe McGill or Peterson, depending on how the rotation depth shakes out, become elite relievers. I think they both have that skill set within them. There's a lot of options right here. It doesn't look like how probably we will think about bullpens, how we've thought about bullpens for a long time as Mets fans, but this is how the bullpens look of the best teams in baseball. And that, I think, is something that we can all hang our hats on. A hundred percent. A fun fact about Steven Ridings as well. James, he played against a couple kids that we went to high school with because he played, he's a D3 baseball guy, Haverford College. And when I was talking to Mike Andraconis and Brad Martino, shout out to guys that played baseball with in high school, they were mentioning how Haverford was a powerhouse and they had this one massive pitcher that threw absolute gas and had a devastating slider that nobody could touch. And that guy, Steven Ridings, uh, just for some clarification, he had the two six ERA in college and he was, he was filthy. <laughs> We also sneaky pulled Jimmy Yacobonis. You guys forgot to mention him too. We got Jimmy Yacobonis? 
Yeah, I think we picked him up off waivers a few weeks ago, I want to say. Really? No, it was last week, 12-7. Signed the minor league contract with the Mets. He is not on the 40-man. It's an invite. Yeah, it's a minor gotcha. league contract. He's a, yeah. Jimmy Yacobonis has some gifable pitches, if you will. Okay, I like that. A little pitching ninja action, action on Jimmy Yacobonis. I feel like we talked about him a little bit last year, too, where I was like, I didn't know J- Jimmy Yacobonis had it like that. Yeah, because I think it was that one that one of those outings with the Marlins where he just like threw a cutter. We're like, what the hell? Yeah. yeah, what is that? This is some stuff here. Yeah, I, I like everything the Mets are doing. I think this offseason has been really, really good, especially when it could have it could have been a nightmare offseason. It could have been really, really bad, especially when it got started with Jacob DeGrom leaving. Like, that's two Mets fans. You see that, you hear that, and you're like, oh, here we go again. But I think everything that's gone on since then has shown you Mets aren't playing games. Mets are looking to win now, and they are they're putting a damn good team out there. That's for sure. Yeah, and apologize to all the listeners out there for us just nerding out on random bullpen names for the last like 15 minutes, me especially. But This, this is, is why we, they listen to us. This is winning baseball, baby. This, this is, is why how, they listen is, to us. This is how you win. The Houston Astros came up with guys that people have not heard of, one after the other out of that pen in October. And it, it's how you win. When you start overpaying for your bullpen help, we've seen the Mets go down that road in the past. We've seen other teams go <coughs> down, down that road in the past. <laughs> John, John Rash is, is one Francisco name from the past. Cordero. There's, there's Frank Francisco. Francisco. Frank Francisco. That's his name. Yeah, yeah. There's, Jose I mean, here's a non-Met one. <laughs> BJ Ryan, an absolute Ooh. disaster. Or Chad Ooh. Bradford after his great oh, year in 06 What was the guy the named? Kobe something. He signed a big deal. Or I remember oh, Chris Ray signed a big deal. Something with a C of... who went, oh, Cahill? No. Someone with a C ups in the Blue Jays. Oh, what was his name? With the Blue Jays. Oh, 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 Brett Cecil. Brett Cecil. Brett Cecil, yeah. yeah. Former Cardinal as well. Yep. I mean, look. The Rafael Montero contract, I know it was signed. That was back in middle of uh, October. Actually, mid-November after the World Series. Excuse me. That's got, that's got blow-up written all over it. That worries oh, yeah. me. That contract worries me. You should usually have a GM <laughs> to handle those sorts of things. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, that, I think that was the coolest thing going back to David Robertson contract. Like, while he's 38 years old and is coming off a year, he was mostly good. But very sneaky. He had, like, a 30% walk rate after the trade to the Phillies. He, it's only a one-year deal. The worst case scenario, he stinks, and we'll we'll, we'll smell you later. Worst That's case scenario, it. not that I'm expecting that at all. I think he is going to be course, good, of course. So as we can get that control back, but that is they've really done a really amazing job of mitigating their risk. Like the only two risky moves that they've made, technically risky contracts, have been more than five years. Were Nimmo and Sanga, right? And even Sanga has opt outs after years three and four. So if he's good enough, yeah, he'll probably walk away. And even even if he can't stuff in the rotation, which I don't think is likely, you just got the relievers throwing ninety seven with a wicked forkball. Worst case right. scenario. And we right. still got Drew Chains. We still got Drew Chains, who's got the nasty stuff. So, I mean, I, I feel really, really confident about how the Mets look right now, and I honestly Process. don't think they're done. I feel like they could be cooking up something more. I don't know, but oh. I feel like it. I guess we'll close with this, because in the last, like, 48 hours, there's been a, there's been a shocking amount of smoke to a f- another a former Astro. We're talking about the Astros right now. One Friend of Justin Verlanders, perhaps? Yeah. One shortstop potential third baseman whose market looks like it might kind of be a little bit drier than a lot of people expected. Like it was last year, too, which was weird. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just something about him and his role with all the other stuff that happened with that team. But their report came out today that the, the Giants seem to have transitioned from Carlos Correa to looking at Dansby Swanson, which hmm. is an interesting, interesting decision. One that I don't know if I would agree with as... As a bit, as like a member of the front office, but if no one's giving Carlos Correa a long deal, I'll give him a short one very easily, right? Three for ninety again, just like the Twins did with the opt outs. Who says no? Once you go, once you go past the level that we're at, it's it's everything's fair game here. Every dollar costs two. Steve Cohen's worth seventeen bill. 
leave you guys with this. Uh, the Mets with the, the Steve Cohen tax and all going over the luxury tax threshold, I think they're going to pay about $80 million in penalties is roughly the number. I think, and that I think is $420 million total salary. Which is high, penalties. which is really high. Yeah, really yeah, I think high. it's more than any professional sports team has ever, ever cost. Yes, and the tax that he's going to pay in terms of penalties is more than, I think, like eight or nine of the yeah, teams in Major League seven, Baseball's yeah. total payroll, like the Rays, the Orioles, the Pirates, the Reds. Like, you can guess the teams, but if that doesn't make you feel good as a Mets fan, I don't, where have you been? Where have you been the last 20 years? Because you should be <laughs> you should be pumped. You should be excited. You know what the best part of it is? You know what the best part of it is? Is the Yankee fans who are twisting themselves in the mental pretzels. <laughs> We're not just Yankee fans. You see it from Braves fans. You see it from Phillies fans that are just digging into the deepest recesses of their souls to hate and just try to convince themselves. And you keep hearing the, oh, well, uh, you spent all this money and you're actually not that much better than you were last year. Like, okay. 101 it, games. It's hard of, to be better than of that. Of course they did. And this rotation <laughs> is in a better place than it was last year. And anyone that, yep. that cannot understand that, it's, yes, James. And the bench. People yep. say, yeah, this team didn't improve. What do you mean this team didn't improve? This team got an 80 WRC plus other DHs all of last year. We're, this is like the fourth time we're going to say this. This is something else we're going to leave you guys with. <laughs> I think a big part of spending all this money means that there's more pressure on guys who will produce for free. Those two guys, as we're going to head close to this season, are Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez. Two of the consensus, top 20, top 30 prospects. Alvarez, top five, top 10 prospect in all of baseball. Two of the best-rated prospects at their respective positions of catcher and third base. Two positions where the Mets probably could use a little bit of assistance in the coming year, probably the coming years after that. To have all this money invested in all these different players, but none of them to be really invested that far down the line, you need a short-term burst of production from guys who don't cost anything. Guys with high ceilings, guys who even right now, the earliest projections, the steamer projections on fan graphs are projected to be between 10 and 20% better than league average. It's a lot better than the 20% worse than league average. The Mets were at their, uh, DH last year, the yes. 30 or 40% league average. They were a catcher. Those two guys have become monumentally important to the way this team works. And I think that Mets fans should be excited about what they both bring to the table. 100%. 100%. We've seen the Astros get crazy, crazy production out of their random rookie every single year that ends up being that guy. How about the Mets do it this year? And I think it's totally possible with the young talent that we do have that's ready to play at the major league level right now. I don't think there's anything else to talk about, though, in this episode. I think we've pretty much covered it. It's how refreshing is it to talk about media Mets episode. baseball? We have a media episode that wasn't filled with, James, as much as I love it, Chad, cool talk. You know, we got, to, turkey, we got to talk. Turkey's a bad filling for a sandwich. It's terrible. <laughs> turkey, turkey cold cuts. I mean, come on. What beats a turkey no. cold cut? Any other meat, any other meat, pastrami. <laughs> Corned beef. I, I mean, those are those are two. Pastrami and corned beef. Where are yeah. you going to the deli? He's getting the, he's getting the city the field pastrami sandwich. I'm buying a nineteen dollar sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> I'm buying one for seven. Yeah, you were there with Darren. Had that thing. He said it was the best thing he ever <laughs> ate. And you're and you're trying to sell me turkey. Oh, I will love to eat pastrami. I had cats on Saturday. I'm, if I'm being quite honest with Did you. you actually? But wow. What I, a... I swear the guy actually had cats. This happens when you live in New York. You get these kind of privileges, John. <laughs> I live across the river. The city than you do. <laughs> theoretically yeah i mean maybe, maybe in terms no, of miles, I do. But not in terms of time and distance <laughs> I do. all right we're, we're, we've got a too much sandwich talk now everyone everyone's tuned out let's wrap it up here boys send us your guys favorite sandwich his in the replies <laughs> yes leave a review of what sandwich we should try out on the next episode live for you guys but uh free bread. thank you for and listening the pork store. they keep the mets up sticker on graham avenue in williamsburg in their window big mets fans supporters of the podcast Shout out to them. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. We appreciate you. Make sure you're following us on all our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Go subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel so you can see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, download, 
subscribe, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We really do appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and hopefully on the next one, we have some more awesome things to talk about. So we'll catch you then. See you. Get up, get, get up, get up.